Church, you can have a seat. It is so good to be with you this morning. My name is Monty, and uh, I know Casey said it one time. I'm just going to say it again. If this is your first time at Meadows Church through the snow, which that's nothing, God's going to bless you today. But if this is your first time, welcome home. Mean that with all of our heart. We're so excited that you're here. You're going to be blessed for showing up in God's house today. I can promise you that as we are starting a brand new series today called All I Want for Christmas. Say that together. All I want for Christmas. All I want for Christmas is my. Oh, we can do better than that. All I want for Christmas is my. Yeah. See, that was actually my like battle cry one year. I'm not kidding you. Eight or nine years old, um, grew up on a farm. You know, it was awesome. Uh, no neighbors, closest neighbor was five miles away, but grew up on a farm with sheep. Uh, so it's always exciting to know where these stories are going to go, isn't it? Sheep and me and hanging out. But anyway, so, but you, when, you're, when, you, when you don't have any neighbors and you don't want to play with your brother or sisters, you find things do to pass the time. And one day I'm in the barn with uh, this buck sheep. A buck sheep is like a male sheep. And I'm in there and I'm bored and I'm just kind of dumb. And I'm thinking, oh, what do I do to pass the time? So I start harassing the buck sheep. And I'm throwing dirt, clumps of dirt at it. And I'm verbally abusing the sheep and just dumb stuff. I mean, I'm a kid. And um, the only thing really protecting me from the sheep was, was a gate. But it was just a little panel. Wasn't much to it. But I'm, I'm harassing the sheep and I'm making fun of the sheep and whatever. And I, I, my, something grabs my attention. And all of a sudden, I'm looking somewhere else, and I, then all of a sudden, I hear the, the patter of these feet charging me, and the sheep is coming at me hard. And I turn, and I look, and the buck sheep is right here, and it plows into the gate. The gate plows into me, knocks me backward. I nail a, um, a huge pole. I'm on the ground. The next thing I know, I, 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 I'm fine. I didn't get knocked out, but it, I might as well have. I wake up, and I mean, there's blood all over my shirt. I, I, my mouth is hurting. I, I, I reach up and I grab my mouth and I, my two front teeth are missing. I'm not kidding you. That's how I lost my two front teeth. I'm bleeding everywhere. I'm freaking out. I'm bawling. I'm running to my house. I know my mom's going to freak out because of the blood. She's going to wonder what I did to the sheep to make it so mad. And then I'm asking myself the all-encompassing question, which is, if your teeth like get knocked out by a buck uh, sheep, does that mean you're going to have buck teeth? I mean, seriously, these are, I know that's bad, but these are questions. And I'm like, I, that's how I lost my two front teeth is just by being stupid, really. But, um, but I did want my two front teeth for Christmas that year. I really did. Um, I lost hope that day, but I found it again, thank God. And speaking of hope, I'm going to tell you something. The message today, all I want for Christmas, is going to be centered on hope. And as I prayed over you and prayed over the message and over this Christmas series, um, God brought me to one scripture that's kind of the theme and then, I'll, and then I'll unpack a story for you today. We're going to go on a journey. It's going to be awesome. But in the Bible, there's a, a New Testament book called Romans. And in Romans, there, uh, chapter 15, verse 13, you don't need to go there. I'll show it to you. But it's one verse. And it really encompasses this entire series. Uh, Paul's writing to like this church, but he's also writing to you and I. Um, it says this. I pray that God, the source of hope, say hope, hope. Man, some of you, you need hope today. I know I do. The source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace. We'll be talking about those in the upcoming weeks. Because you trust him. Then you will overflow with confident hope. There it is again. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, I love that scripture. But as I read that scripture, this is something that I know. We approach Christmas. We approach December. And I know I should be feeling hope. I, I get it should be overflowing in me. We just sang about it, overflow, but guess what? There's people in here today that you're not really feeling the overflowing of hope. 
That's probably why God brought you here today, honestly. Like, you're not feeling like what that scripture says. It's not there for you. Some of you, I'll just say it, you're probably not even looking forward to Christmas. I've been there. Maybe you're looking forward to the year to be done altogether because 2018, I mean, you're thinking that'll be better in the rear view because it hasn't been a good year. I'm telling you, God ushered you into this environment for a reason today. But I know this, something I know about Christmas, it is the most wonderful time of the year. I believe that with all my heart. I love the holiday. But I, I'm, I, I also am a church that wants to be real. Okay, is that okay if we get real today a little bit? See, Christmas also brings struggle. Christmas also, you know, what, you know what Christmas does to some people? It brings depression up and anxiety up, actually. You know, and hope, actually, the, the, the theme today, hope can actually go down. It's weird, but it's what happens to us sometimes because it just gets personified at Christmas time. Suicide rates actually go up. Like they're the highest at Christmas time. You would think that'd be the opposite, but why is that? That's what we're gonna talk about today. But I already know why tensions happen at Christmas. I mean, many things go down at Christmas time. Families get together, right? Relatives get together. That's tense in and of itself, right? In-laws, you know the only difference between in-laws and outlaws? I mean, outlaws are actually wanted. Right? Think about that. I mean, that's, it's tough. Relatives are hard to deal with. And, and on a serious note, there's ex-spouses we're dealing with. There's, there's kids caught in custody battles that we're dealing with. Well, you had it for Christmas last year. You had, it for, you had it for Thanksgiving. Well, I get it for Christmas Eve. You get it for Christmas Eve. These are real things that happen at Christmas time that families struggle. And it's not, we, can, we can talk about the goodness of God and the great news of Christmas, but, and they're true, but I just want to recognize the struggle that you might be in today. I talk about kids. Some of you, it might be that, the fact that you have no kids. Or maybe you can't have kids. Or maybe you've tried. Or, 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 or maybe you had a miscarriage. And you've struggled in that area. Maybe some of you got married recently, right? Mar that's great. You know, you get married, but then all of a sudden the honeymoon wears off. And all of a sudden life begins. Bills start to happen. Expectations. And you're thinking, I don't know if this is what I signed up for. But expectations are a big deal, especially when it comes to marriage. And even the wedding night, that's where it starts, doesn't it? It starts at the wedding night. Because guys and girls are different. Did you know that? They're different. You should know that by now. There's like a class you can take if you don't know that. But they're different. And, 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 I, and I, I tell you that because I can give you the guy perspective, right? Like, let's go to the wedding night. The wedding night, the guy's thinking, oh my gosh, it's going to be incredible, right? I can't wait. We'll get to the hotel. I'm going to chuck my bag there. I'm going to chuck that bag there. And then I'm going to kind of map it out, okay? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be there. And we're going to do there and there and over there and under there and around there. And is, is, you got it all figured out, don't you? It's all these expectations. But then reality sets in. And, and, and you do your part. You wrote out your script. You dive through the hotel door and you chuck a bag and you chuck a bag and you run to the first spot and you're like, all right, you're drinking your pre-workout drink and you're getting ready to go and whatever. And, uh, but, but she's not on board. She's, she's coming in and she's excited, but she puts down her suitcase all nice and neat and unzips it slowly and starts to unpack everything and put it away. And you're like, come on, I'll help you throw the, you know, she's putting it nicely, and she says, you know, sweetie, I'm going to go to the bathroom, I'm gonna get, just get cleaned up, get ready for bed, you know, she comes out two hours later, you know how that goes, guys, I don't have no idea what they're doing in there, but two hours later, she comes out, and she's like, hey, let's go to the balcony, and he's thinking, hey, I didn't think about the balcony, all right, well, let's do that, you go to the balcony, she's like, okay, let's just, let's just sit down and let's chat, and you're like, chat, I mean, but it's expectations, this isn't how I had it drawn up in my head, there's all these tensions, so I'll, I'll take it back to a serious note for a second. For some of you on Christmas, there's going to be an empty spot at the table, right? We gather around the table and we eat. For some of you, 
Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a relative, but there will be an empty spot where someone was there last year, but that, they're not there this year, right? And you're, you're going to miss that laughter. You're going to miss that, 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 that talk. You're going to miss that. And for some of you, when you leave here today, even though today we're surrounded by a lot of people and we call ourselves a family, and we are, you'll walk out of here today knowing that you're surrounded by people here, but when you leave here, you'll leave feeling maybe lonely once you get back on the world on Tuesday or Wednesday, and you'll leave feeling th this sense of loss for whatever reason. And you'll see families having fun and maybe gathering or uh, doing festive activities, but yet there's a loneliness in you, and there's a sense of a loss of hope. I'm here to tell you something. There's hope. There is hope, and it's, and it's, and it's here, and you're going to hear about it. God has brought you here to, to bring you to a place that you know, despite anything that you're going through, any struggle that you have in your life, any depression or anxiety that you're feeling, there is hope. There, you ever seen, anybody ever seen Shawshank Redemption? You ever seen that movie? So it's kind of a classic movie. It's a little older now, I guess. But at the end of the movie, one, the, one of these guys, Red, gets out of prison. And he's ready to give up because it's, it's, he's been, all he knows is prison life. And he gets out and... It's like, what do I do? Where do I go? I don't know anybody. I don't even know how to live out here. And he remembers something that his buddy Andy told him. So he goes to where Andy said he finds this rock, and under this special rock, he sees this, this um, container. And in that container that Andy left for Red, there was a note and some cash. And he's reading the note, and in the last line of the note, it gets me, because it's about what we're talking about. It says, hope is a good thing, Red. Maybe the greatest of things. See, I, I, me in my heart, I believe, like, like if you use one word to describe Meadows Church, I, I would want it to be hope. That, uh, if I could pick any word, I really would. Because I think the world is desperate for it. The world wants to know there's hope beyond what I'm dealing with, what my family is going through, what my friends are, are struggling. We want to know there's hope. And, and I just want you to know that, that when you hear your church, Meadows Church, that you would think hope. I'm going to get through the snow because I need hope today. I need hope this week. Uh, nothing's going to keep me from what God has for me. And I would say to you, hope is here. So every week, if you're struggling, you can bring your struggle here. You can bring the dysfunction here. Bring the chaos here. Bring the hurt here. Bring your mess here and give it to Jesus. Because he's in the business of taking your mess and turning it into a miracle. It's what he wants to do in your life. It's what he wants to do today. He doesn't want to wait till tomorrow. He's going to do something today. That's why I'm so excited. If you brought a Bible or a mobile device, go to a book called Ruth. And right away you're thinking, what? I thought this was a Christmas series. It is. Ruth is a book in the Old Testament. It's after a book called uh, Judges and before a book called 1 Samuel. And um, I tell you what, Ruth is a critical book in the Bible. And, and if you don't have those things, we'll put it up on the screen as well. But let me set it up for you. This is a time when sin is happening all over the place, right? God's people are in the promised land, but they're sinning. They're, they're worshiping other gods, and the Bible says they're doing what's evil in God's sight. So it's, it's, it's kind of like today, okay? We live in a world that's chaos. We live in a world that's kind of far from God. So what they're dealing with then is what we're dealing with today. And Ruth is such a beautiful book that if you... Like, the Bible is God's love letter to you. The Bible is a, a lamp for your feet, a guide for your path. It is an incredible book of love. But you can't take Ruth out of the book. You, it, like, it's so critical. Like, if you take Ruth out of, the, out of the Bible, it'd be ruthless, right? You don't want that. That's bad. They, they keep getting worse from here. So um, you can't do that. Ruth is a critical book. Without Ruth, there is no Christmas. You're going to see that. The first verse, Ruth 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the days 
when the judges ruled Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem, that's kind of a familiar little town in the Christmas story, a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in a country outside of the promised land called Moab. He took his wife Naomi and their two sons. The, the man's name was Elimelech. Say Elimelech. Elimelech. Elimelech, 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 Elimelech. In the jungle, the mighty. All right, okay, forget it. Um, so back to the, okay. the man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi. The lions. Okay. Uh, their two sons' names were Malan. There's a reason I don't, I'm not on the worship team, I'll tell you that. The, the, the kids' names were Malan and Kilion. They were from Bethlehem. Again, Bethlehem, the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Now, I think I have a map, just to give you an idea of what we're talking about. I'm a handy pointer. So, Bethlehem, the promised land is right here. See, this is Canaan or Israel. And then over here, this is the Dead Sea. This is the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. The Sea of Galilee, Jesus walked on water up here. So they went from Bethlehem where Jesus was born over to Moab. This is not a good move, to, to, to be honest with you. See, this is the promised land. This is the land flowing of milk and honey. It's, it's a famine right now. It's tough. But they left the promised land where they worship God or they're supposed to. And they went to a foreign pagan land. They don't worship God here. They worship gods, you know, multiple gods. That's the journey that they took. So what's interesting about this route is this. Elimelech, see their names actually mean something. Elimelech doesn't mean lion king. It means God is king. That's what it means. Elimelech, the name means God is king. In fact, Naomi means sweet and pleasant. Now, they didn't obviously check the, the, the baby book names for kids because Malin and Kilion, well, that literally means sick and dying. So, oops, I mean, that's not good, right? Hey, I want you to meet my two kids. This is tuberculosis, and over here is typhoid fever. We call them Ty, you know? Uh, it's just, it doesn't work. So, that's not good. Speaking of dying, I'll take you to verse 3 because look what happens. In verse 3, it says, Elimelech dies. So, he goes to a place to find life, and he dies. He's dead, and Naomi is left with her two sons. The two sons marry Moabite women. One married a girl named Orpah. Okay, not to be confused with Oprah, right? You get a camel, and you get a camel, and you... Anyway, so um, not to be confused with Oprah. Orpah, again, did you check the list of baby names? Anyway, uh, the other woman was named Ruth. Okay, that's a little better. We finally get to the main character of the story. Orpah and Ruth, daughters of, uh, daughter-in-laws of Naomi. About 10 years later, so we fast forward 10 years, Malan and Kilion, the boys, die. Like they live up to their name, right? Sick and dying? That's a big shocker. They're dead now. So they're dead, and now Naomi is left alone. She, not only does she not have her husband, but she doesn't have her two sons. So it's her and her daughter-in-laws. And where are they at? They're, they're, they're right in the middle of three funerals, right? They're right in the middle of no hope. See, some of you, in an area or areas of your life, you're in the middle of what might be three funerals. It might not be literal. I'm just talking about a place where there's no hope. I mean, we went, we went to Moab to find hope, you know? But, but, but here's what's interesting about that move. Even though Elimelech's name means my God is king, he didn't live up to his name, did he? When he made that move from the, from the promised land to Moab, he basically said, you know what? The famine is greater than my faith, and that's a problem. See, the famine in Israel was tough, but sometimes you got to tough it out and trust God, that if he called you to it, he's going to see you through it. 
And, and, and Elimelech didn't do that, so he leaves that, right? You might, be, you're, you might be in a famine right now today. Is your faith greater than your famine? Maybe it's not. Maybe that's why God has you here, to raise you up, lift you up, and inject you with some faith so you can go out there and live your life for him. It's what he wants to do. But, but he, he didn't live up to his name. So they're in the middle of three funerals. They don't, hope is gone. And Naomi says, you know what? This isn't a good move. I'm going back to the promised land. We're going back to Bethlehem. And the daughter-in-laws are like, we're coming with you. And they start down that road. And Naomi finally turns around and says, you know what? I don't think it's a good idea. I'm going to go, but Orpah, Ruth, you guys stay here. Orpah, her daughter, takes her up on it and says, okay, I'll stay in Moab. But Ruth, say Ruth. Ruth does something different. In Ruth 1.16, listen to this. Ruth replies to her mother-in-law, don't ask me to leave. Don't ask me to turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. This is a huge statement. The last one in particular, your God will be my God. See, up to this point, Naomi, her God wasn't the God of Israel. It's not the God that you and I love and serve today. It, it was the gods of Moab, the pagan gods. So her making this statement, it's, it's way bigger than just, I'm going to go with my mother-in-law. It's way bigger than that. She's saying, I'm, gonna, I'm leaving my former way of life. I'm, your God is now going to be my God. I'm not, I'm not going to leave my God, Naomi, and I'm not going to leave you. And she doesn't. And you're going to see how key that, that statement was and how key that decision was. Verse 19, this is still the first chapter. So the two of them, Naomi and Ruth, continued on their journey. When they came back to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? Now, I think it's funny that the entire town knows. That, I mean, you know it's a small town, right? Old little town of Bethlehem. You know it's a small town when the whole town knows that you're back in town. And they're like, the woman said, is it really Naomi? And listen to what Naomi says. This is key. Naomi says, don't call me that anymore. Don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mora or Mara, for the Almighty has made my life bitter. See, the, the, we're talking names today. The, the name Mara literally means bitter. So Naomi has given you a glimpse of where she is in her heart right now. She is struggling. She is ticked at God. She is not happy with her circumstances, and she's letting people know about it. In fact, she's, identif she's identifying herself with her circumstances. This is, this is so big. So, so check it out. She says, don't call me my name anymore. Call me Mora. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer, and the Almighty has sent such tragedy on me? It's so interesting. She's having a pity party. She, she's... She's the victim in this big time, totally blaming God. Now, God's loving her right now. See, some of you, you're, you're, you're mad at God right now for something that happened in your life or something that you're going through. God's not mad back at you. He loves you. That's why you're here today, because he's, he's talking to you. He, he's, he's asking you to come closer to him. Get mad at him. He's okay with that. But Naomi, something, something that's crazy about our heads, because we can be a little crazy. I don't know about you, but I can be. And... Um, Naomi is really making it sound worse than it is. Like, do you hear what she said? She said, I left full, but, I, but God brought me back empty. Did you leave full, Naomi? You left a land that was famine. Why? You, if it was so full and great, you would have never left. Okay? But you're lying to yourself, or the devil is lying to you, and you're believing it. And you're believing that your circumstances are really worse than they are. 
And when people start to believe that way, this defeated mindset, I talked about it last week, you get discouraged. And when you get discouraged, it is over. It is done, and the devil's won in that area. And you can't let it happen. Naomi's believing a lie. I went away full. No, you didn't. And she said, the Lord caused me to suffer? No, your choices, your choices caused you to suffer. Now, the death of her husband, we don't know why that went down, or, or, the, or the sons, that's hard. And I can understand her being upset about that. But I just need to, like, ask yourself a question. This is a story about loss, and that's what she's focused on right now. Naomi's focused on, I've lost my husband. I've lost my sons. I've lost my home. I've lost my land. And that's where she's living, in bitterness. Are you living there? If you are, this word is for you. Because God is showing her something. She doesn't see it yet, but she's living by her circumstances. That's what she's focused on them, and she's got them distorted. So let's keep going. In fact, here's a question. Are, are you living by circumstances or by faith? See, that's what I want to know. That's what God wants to know. Are you focused on the three funerals? About all the struggle? Or are you focused on where God wants to take you? Or what God wants you to learn in the struggle? She was, she was defined by bitterness. She was defined by her circumstances. That was me, actually, in drug rehab when I went the first time. Went a couple times. So fun. Um, it was hard. Like, you know, as a dad and a husband who uh, portrayed a life that was all together, and then you're sitting in a drug rehab with everybody else. The good thing about drug rehab, there's a, there's a lot of jacked up people in there, so you can always find somebody to compare yourself with and make, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. But the problem is, I'm sure those guys were pointing at me thinking, at least I'm not as bad as that guy, because I was pretty messed up. And I'm sitting there in the first three day, few days of rehab, and I, I kind of had this mindset like Naomi. I'm like, gosh, I can't believe all that I'm losing. I can't believe, and it was kind of a victim. Like, how did, it, like, how did I end up here? Like, how did it happen? Like, I don't even get it. But it's interesting, as I go through this 30-day process, God's teaching me something. And God is putting my legs underneath me and giving me a foundation of Jesus. And it starts to change something in me. And pretty soon I stopped believing the lies of the enemy, like, you've lost everything. I hadn't lost everything. My wife, she stayed with me, right? Jody's like, yeah, I did. You question that some days, don't you, sweetie? Huh? I'm, yeah. But um, my wife stayed with me. My kids loved me. I had my job kept me on. My friends that were true friends were with me. I hadn't lost much of all. Now, if I keep going down the road that I was on, I lose it all. And you keep going down that road, you will lose everything. I promise you that. But I, see, I thought in the first few days of rehab, I'd lost everything. Why? Well, I, I hadn't lost hardly anything. I still had everything. And my, see, my, it, it's this mindset that you start to believe that it's so bad when you got so much to be thankful for. It's, it's, that's where Naomi was. See, you don't, you don't drown by falling into water. You only drown if you stay there, okay? So when I was in rehab, it was like I was in the water, and I'm struggling. And, and, and I could be like Naomi and just stay there and be bitter about it. Well, you're going to drown. You better pick yourself up, right? That you, you only drown if you stay there. And maybe some of you here today, you, depression's got you down, or your circumstances have you down, or a situation has you down. I just need you to know, disappointments will happen. Don't let them turn to discouragement. And if rejection's knocked you down, you need to get back up, and you need to go again. Because no matter how many times you've been knocked down, with the power of Jesus Christ, you are not out. You're not. You keep going. You pick yourself up. You brush yourself off. And you don't give up. Because that's not an option. Not today. But it was for Naomi. I think I, you're going to see a key relationship start to form here. Say, I have a choice. Say again, I have a choice. You have a choice. 
You have a choice. Naomi was choosing unwisely at this moment. But the main point, it's not rocket science, but it's going to hit somebody. You can't choose your circumstances a lot of times. You can choose your response. I'm drowning. Get up. I'm dying. Get up. I'm hurting. Get help. I'm lonely. Reach out. I'm scared. Talk to someone. You have a choice. So Naomi and Ruth go back to Bethlehem. Naomi's still bitter. Remember that? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. Okay, well, you've, you've labeled yourself. You're giving yourself your own identity. No wonder you're living a defeated life. You're believing a lie from the enemy. Ruth, Ruth on the other hand, remember? She's got this new God. And all of a sudden, Ruth, the Bible says Ruth goes out in the field. And she starts to work. And, and a widow in this day and age, they were low on the rung, okay? Because a widow, I mean, unless you find some relative that you can marry back into the family, you're basically a beggar. That's what you turn into. You have nothing. You have nobody. It's like picking up cans on the side of a road. And, and Ruth is out in the field, and the farmers would actually leave 10% of the crop for the beggars. It's, what, it's, what, it's a rule that God had that, to provide for people. Like, you can, you can harvest 90%, but leave the 10% and let the people go in and help themselves. So Ruth's out there like a beggar, basket on her shoulder, picking the grain, picking the wheat, doing her work. She's doing something. We talked about that last week, too. Sometimes we want God to move in our lives, but we don't move. Ruth is moving. She's like, Naomi, you can sit here. You do whatever you want, you know. Watch TV, do whatever. I'm, I'm going out. I'm going to go to work. We need to eat. And she goes out in the field. And get this. It says it was there that she meets a man. She meets a man, and this man, he actually owns the field. And he likes her. He doesn't just like her. He, he likes her. I mean, he's like checking out the profile, and he swipes right, okay? He likes her. It's good stuff. So, so he talks to Ruth and says, hey, come over here. Let's have a little dinner together, a little lunch, a little, little break time in the field. So they have a nice little lunch together, and he knows a little bit about her. Like he starts talking to her saying, hey, I know, that, I know your mother-in-law, Naomi. I know you've been loving on her and taking care of her. You've been good to her. I know that you moved from that other land to this land. And she's thinking, stalker. You know, how do you know all these things about me? But he knew. He knew about her. And he liked her. So let's pick it up in, I, in Ruth, did I, Ruth 2.17. So this will pick it up. So Ruth gathers barley. She's already had this little lunch with this man. She gathers the rest of her barley all day. And he sets her up in the nice part of the field. No more scraps for you, okay? You, you go right here and you take as much as you want. So she's gathering it. She beats out the grain that evening and fills her basket, carries it back to town, shows Naomi. Ruth also gave her some roasted grain that she had left over from her little lunch date, gives it to Naomi. Naomi says, in the 19th verse of chapter 2, Naomi says, where'd you get all this grain today? Like, where'd you get it with this? Well, Naomi, if you would have got your butt out of bed, you could have come with me. But anyway, so where'd you get all this grain today? Where'd you work? How'd this happen? And then she goes on to say, may the Lord bless the one who helped you. Hmm. So Ruth told Naomi about the man whose field she'd worked in. She said, the man I worked with today, his name was Boaz. Say Boaz. Boaz. The man's name is Boaz. And then Naomi says it again. Look at the next verse. May the Lord bless him. That's the second time she said, may the Lord bless this man. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He's showing his kindness to us as well as to you and your dead husband. That man is one, and Naomi knows him. 
That man's actually one of our closest relatives. <laughs> There's no coincidences. One of our family redeemers. See, if you're a widow back in the day, you could marry, like the, the law was, if they had a brother, say the husband dies, you could marry the brother, be redeemed back into the family, and what's his is yours, what's yours is yours, you get it. So, um, that, so he says, that, that guy's actually one of the, he's actually in our line, he's one of our family redeemers. But even before that, I find it interesting, I've already, I've already talked to you a little bit, Naomi, notice how her whole demeanor is changing. She's bitter, she's home, Ruth is doing the work. Ruth gets home with all this stuff, and Naomi's like, dang. How'd you get all this stuff? This is good. And Ruth tells her, and, and all of a sudden, th this bitterness in Naomi is turning into blessings. How is this happening? It's happening because of the faith that Ruth was showing. This is why I'm so huge on life groups in our church. It's why I can't talk about them enough. A life group is just a small group where we get together and we talk about the message or we talk about God's word or we just talk about our dysfunctional family or whatever we got going on in our lives. But it's so, we, we need each other so desperately. Naomi, in her head, is, she's screwed without, with Ruth. But Ruth, because she's thinking along God's lines, and she's living a godly life, and she's putting the work in, now Naomi is getting the blessings because of it. You can't choose your circumstances, but you can choose how you respond. You can't. Naomi made it, or Ruth made a choice. I could be bitter with my mother-in-law, or I could go out and make a living. And all of a sudden, God looks at Ruth and says, my gosh, there's a woman out making a living. There's a woman not, not defeated by what she doesn't have, not focused on the three funerals, but she's focused on what she wants, and she's focused on where she's going. And God sends Boaz. Boaz is like, it's a foreshadowing of Jesus, if you haven't already picked it up. Boaz is a foreshadowing of what Jesus is for us. See, God sent Boaz to bless not only Ruth, but to bless Naomi. And some of you, you want those blessings in your life. You want those people in your life. Like some of you are thinking, I just need to find my Boaz. I just need to find my Boaz. Here's, here's the problem, and I even wrote it down. You can't expect the best because Boaz was the best. Cream of the crop, the guy owned the entire field. But you can't expect the best when you keep settling for something less. Okay? You can't. So, why, I just can't find him or I can't find her? Where are you hanging out to find him? What are you going on to do? Who are you talking to? Right? What are you listening to? What are you reading? What are you taking in? You can't expect the best and then keep settling for something less. It doesn't work that way. See, we want Boaz. <laughs> we want our Boaz. But here's the problem. Some of you, you've been, you've been settling for his cousins. See, Boaz had some cousins. And uh, I actually got a list of them. I'll go through them. And maybe, maybe you settle for some of these. But there's Boaz. But some of you, you've been settling for broke ass or, or lion ass. Then you got cheating ass, uh, drunk ass, some of this sound familiar, lazy ass, she's like, I've been with him, uh, dumb ass, cheap ass, and some of you, you've been settling for his third cousin, you don't want that, beating your ass, don't do that, don't settle for the cousins, do not do that, you need to wait on your Boaz and make sure he respects your ass, okay? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, now we're off track, now we've done it. I ain't going back to this church, Grandma. You know, okay. Well, yeah. I'm just, woo, okay. That, I knew it was going to be hard to reel them in after that one. But my point is this. You can't expect the best when you settle for something less. Stop hanging out with his cousins, okay? Is that fair? So I'm, oh, gosh. Okay, that's good. That's off the screen. Um, <laughs> I, uh, 
I love reading God's word, and I always encourage you, 10 minutes a day in God's word for the rest of your days will change your days. Most people don't read the Bible. I didn't most of my life. It's changed my life. I'm reading through the book of Joshua right now. So Joshua is the book where the Israelites actually take over the promised land. Remember, they actually go from the Moab area into the promised land for the first time. Remember Moses and the 40 years of wandering? They never entered. Well, Joshua finally brought him in. So I'm reading the book of Joshua, and it's crazy. Because before they enter the promised land, it says that they send two spies in. The two spies meet a woman named Rahab. She's a prostitute. They meet her, and she takes them in, these spies, these Israelites, these enemies. And she gives them, she gives them intel. She lets them stay there. She hides them there. And she says, you know what? Just remember me when you guys take the land. When you guys come in here and you bust in and you take Jericho, that was the name of the city. When you do that, I'm, I'm helping you, okay? And, and, and the spies are like, no, that's cool. You'll, you'll be good. And she was. When the Israelites actually took the promised land for the first time and took the first city of Jericho and like destroyed the city in their, con in their quest of the promised land, a land flowing of milk and honey, they would take the promised land and Rahab I don't know what about me. Maybe I'm just twisted or, just, well, not maybe. I am a little bit twisted. But I kind of like the fact that she was a prostitute. I, I don't know. I just like the fact that God is using this woman who has, she's in sin. She's dysfunctional. But in, but in a moment, she's showing faith. It's like, that's my story. Like every day, like every day I'm doing something to screw something up. And my gosh, I'm a pastor and I can't get things right. And I think of people like Rahab. That God would use her in her craziness? And God says, that's exactly who I'm looking for. I'm not looking for perfection. I'm just looking for somebody that, that says yes to me just this one time. Will you take a step? And Rahab does it. And, then, and, and the Bible says when they take the promised land, Rahab and her family are saved. The only ones in the whole city that are spared because of her faith. The faith of a prostitute. Boy, that should give somebody hope right there. No matter how far you've been down, God, your father loves you. God, he loves you. Rahab. Rahab had a kid. I don't know who the dad was. She might not either. You know what his name was? Boaz. Boaz. So you're telling me, because Boaz seems like he made a big impact, but from a prostitute... Boaz had some kids. In Ruth 4.13, there's only four chapters to Ruth. You could read it probably 20 minutes, the whole book. Do it this week. In the last chapter, Ruth 4.13, it says, So Boaz, the son of Rahab, took Ruth. She became his wife. He made love to her, and the Lord enabled them to conceive a child, and they gave birth to a son in a little town of Bethlehem. Sounds kind of familiar to a Christmas story that we're leading up to. They had a kid. His name was Obed. Obed had a son in a little town called Bethlehem. His name was Jesse. Jesse had a son. His name was David. He's also known as King David. Took down a giant, led armies, did great things, but was also a huge sinner. I can relate again. From the lineage of David would come a... a another baby named Jesus. So from the lineage then of Rahab, the center of all sinners, comes a king. The Bible, I love it. It, it gives a guy like me that's so messed up some, a lot of days such hope that God would use people like this to change a world. Do you see how the story goes? 
See, what, starting, what started with weeping at the funerals ended with overflowing hope and joy at a wedding. And sometimes I focus so much myself. I'll let the devil tell me lies about myself and my past and mistakes I've made and people I hurt and people I continue to hurt. Get mad at my kids sometimes and God, I get so upset at myself. And then I read this story, I'm like, there's hope. God, there's hope for them. They changed the world. Without Ruth, there's no Jesus. Without a prostitute, there's no Jesus. There's hope for anybody in this place. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. If you're here today and if you're breathing, God's not done with you. You need to know that. Live that way. Own that. They went from three funerals to a wedding. And I tell people all the time, when something is dying, something else is coming to life. You need to know that. Jesus Christ, that is the gospel right there. If you don't know if the baby that was born, who is Jesus, would grow up to save the world. Got to take him up on the offer, though. It's not automatic. You do have to respond. Remember? You have a choice how you respond. The gospel of Jesus. Something has to die so something can live. It's what sin does. Sin brought death. Why is the world so jacked up? Because we sin. So Jesus would come through all this dysfunctional, crazy family. Looks a lot like Meadows Church. Just crazy and dysfunctional. I love every bit of it. Wouldn't trade it for anything. Wouldn't trade it for anything. And Jesus comes and God says, you got to be the ultimate sacrifice, son. Something's got to die so something can live. If he's going to live with me forever, Jesus, I need you to die. It's how it works. And Jesus said, sign me up. I'm in because I love her. And I love her. And I love him. And I love him. And I love her. I'll do it. I don't have to think twice about it. God, where's the cross? He said, it's over there. Something's got to die. Jesus said, that's me. So something can live. That's you. That is the gospel message. And the Bible says, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ, you believe in that story. You believe that he died on the cross and rose three days later. And you believe that he's coming back again, that he's God's son, you're saved. And then once you do that, once you make that decision, some of you are going to make that decision today. It'll be a commitment or maybe it's a recommitment. You've gotten off track. You're way off course. That's why God has you here. Just to, just to lovingly nudge you back on course. Loves you so much. And then some of you, you're going to sign up for baptism because that's the next step after giving your life to Jesus or recommitting. You're going to get baptized. Baptism just tells the world, I, I, that guy that went to the cross over there, I love him. I want to live for him. I'm still messed up. I'm still jacked up. I still got issues. I still need prayer. I'm still messed up. But I love him and I want to follow him. I will, I will not get it right. I will screw up. I will. But I, I love him. I want what he offers. That's you. That's why you're here. That is the gospel. Say what's next. What's next? It's funny. When you, when you watch kids open gifts at Christmas, it's crazy because it, it's a picture of what we look for in the world. And I love watching my kids open gifts at Christmas time. I love it. And the littler they are, the, the more fun it is. The, the more fun it is. And I'll watch kids open gifts, and it's funny because they'll get exactly what they want, but you know what they, you know what they say? They, they open it up, and it's maybe a small one, and they rip open the wrapping paper, and they chuck it everywhere, and they're like, oh my gosh, and they set it over here. What's next? 
like, why are you little ungrateful? Oh, anyway, so, uh, um, uh, all right, why don't you try that gift over there? It's a little bit bigger. The kid runs over there, all right, opens it up, and it's a little bit bigger. It's like, oh, it's great. What's next? Why are you, okay, uh, so the, you're sitting on a huge gift right there. It's about the size of a car. Open that up and see if that does it. Opens it up, rips the paper, throws the paper everywhere. Oh, my gosh, what's next? Okay, you know what's next? Grab a garbage can and pick up all this crap. Okay, anyway, so, uh, but it's never enough. Do you see that? Some of you, you've been opening stuff in your life. You've been opening it up and you're like, it's never enough and it never will be. What's next is for you to believe the word today and take your next step. The Holy Spirit will tell you what that is. Pray to him. Some of you, you already know it. I just pray that you have the courage to take it. But some of you in this place, and I'll close with this and I'll tell you something. There's times I've wanted to give up. There's times I have given up in certain areas. There's times I still want to give up. I said it earlier, don't give up. Don't you give up. What's next? You're not going to give up. That's what's next. I get you're tired. Right? I get you're hurting. I get you're struggling, but giving up is not an option. Giving up is not an option. No matter how you may feel today. No matter how difficult your circumstances are today, you have a choice. Say, I have a choice. Say it again. I have a choice. You have a choice. Choose hope because hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And he wants to meet you here today and he wants to bring you up today and he wants to make you new today. So no matter how many times you've been down with the power of Christ, you're not out. You're not. The Lord is here and he loves you. I'm going to pray for you and we're going to worship. I'll go back to what Casey said, adopting a family. I hope you'll really consider that. I told that gal at Heartland, I said, we're, we'll take them. Everyone, everyone you got, I don't care. We're not waiting to make an impact. We're, we're Meadows Church. We're going to adopt these kids and we're going to love them. And we're going to, so I hope every sheet is gone. Well, what's your next step? Number one, the Lord loves you so much. He loves you so much. He has a plan for you. Accept his plan. Step into him today, and let's watch what he does. Father, thank you so much. Man, the story of Ruth, it's a book, God, that I think might get overlooked. But if there's no Ruth, well, there's no Jesus. If there's no Rahab, there's no Jesus. How you can take something so broken how you can take something so dysfunctional and turn it into something so beautiful, God. We thank you for that. See, that's how a lot of us feel today. Broken, dysfunctional. I'll just say it this way, God. We're not okay. You already know that, though, don't you? Thank God that you're a God we can come to when we're not okay. Thank God that this is a church where it's okay to not be okay, but we don't have to stay that way, God. I pray that we will accept the hope of Christmas. And that hope is this. There are circumstances that we would never pick. There are things going on in our life that we would never choose, but we do have a choice. Will we be bitter or will we be better? Will we be a victor or will we be a victim? Which will we choose? Today, God, I want to choose life. I want to choose better. I want to choose victor. And I believe everybody in this place does. God, whatever the decisions need to happen today, God, I pray they will. Will Whoever needs prayer, may they come up. Whoever needs to commit or recommit, may that happen. Whoever needs just a hug and for someone to hold them and cry with, let that happen today, God. 
This is your church. You have your way, and we'll give you all the glory. For in you, Father, this Christmas season, we believe something. The best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody says, amen.